Integration is, is really taking those lessons and weaving them into the structure of your being. You're given all these different threads in a medicine ceremony, whatever the medicine is, right? It, it's wherever you are that you gain new insights and new breakthroughs. You're given these threads. And a lot of people, what they do with these threads is they look at the threads and they're like, wow, cool, this makes sense. And then they just keep going. Integration is taking those threads and weaving them into your being so that your presence starts to shift because your actions start to shift because your thought process starts to shift because your belief systems start to shift. It's a, it's a, an entire shift from the inside out that requires conscious effort Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Psychedelics Podcast, where our intention is to bring heart and intuition to the foreground of psychedelics. I'm your host, Lana. And I'm your host, Zoe. Together, we are going to be taking a journey each week, introducing you to some of the greatest minds in plant medicine and psychedelics. Sure to ignite awarenesses and rememberings of divine ancient wisdom as we integrate psychedelics into modern life. So, let's journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Modern Psychedelics. Today, on episode 29, we have Ruby Freeman here with us. We are so excited for you to hear this very special, very inspiring, and deeply activating conversation with Ruby. Ruby is a leadership guide, a Cambo facilitator, certified life coach, NLP practitioner, and author of her new book, Potent Leadership. Ruby's passionate about working with leaders to build the confidence to quit performing, crystallize their messaging, and lead their movements with integrity. She works with her clients one-on-one or in group settings at her live retreats and in her group programs. But Ruby also has an incredible story, and in this conversation, we really dive deep into it. She shares very openly about her journey of healing herself from physical conditions and substance dependency. She tells us a very riveting story of how she spent two weeks, 14 days in the deep Amazon jungle, sitting with ayahuasca and other master plants alongside a maestro. We talk about how to be a potent leader in this day and age. So for those of you who are really looking to step it up in the psychedelic space and become powerful leaders, you're going to love this episode. We even talked about how to navigate cancel culture and people pleasing in the online space as a leader. She gifted us with so much insight into how we can use plant medicine to integrate a more powerful, potent, and integrious version of ourselves. We also talk about reverence, sovereignty, and integration. All right, I know you will all love this episode, so let's dive in. All right, everyone. Today, we are so grateful to have Ruby Freeman on the podcast. Ruby, we would love it if you could take a moment to introduce yourself and tell our audience more about your personal journey. 
Mm, okay. So how short or long would you like this journey section to be? <laughs> I feel like there's just so much to learn from you. You're such an incredible, inspirational person. And like I said, we're so grateful to have you. So however long you feel, let's, um, yeah, let's just dive right in and see where we go. Okay. So listeners, we are going head first into the deep, deep waters. Hello, my name is Ruby Fremont, and I'm super excited to be here today. I am a leadership guide, a combo facilitator, podcast host, and author. I prefer the term leadership guide because that's exactly what I do in all realms of my work. And my journey is really what led me to do the work that I do today. If we're talking about the 3D what's on paper stuff. I am a certified life coach. I am an NLP practitioner and I am certified in combo. All that aside, what I've really found over the past few years is that the essence of my work really lies in the realms of leadership to support leaders by creating spaces for them to come completely undone so that they can reconnect with their truth and lead with their potency. So my journey really began um, in my early 20s. And I got married really, really young. I got married at 20 years old. I was married for five and a half years. And in that time, I experienced the deepest most profound, painful trauma of my life. And that's when I first experienced Western medicine failing me. Western medicine overprescribed me multiple prescriptions, one of which I became addicted to. And so at the ripe age of 22, I was an addict to benzos. And no one, not my pharmacist, not my doctors, no one questioned why I was getting so many refills. As my journey continued, I started to seek out holistic support after a suicide attempt at the age of around 23. And I just, I knew there had to be a different way. I, like millions of other people around the globe, was suffering from my trauma and no one was pointing me in the right direction to really face my trauma head on, which is inwards, right? Everyone points to the magic pill, the magic supplement, the psychotherapist, whatever it is, but they never point inwards. And so for so many years, I was looking outside of myself for answers and magic pills and secret formulas to fix the pain that I was feeling from the inside out, which also radiated in my physical body. So if we fast forward into my late 20s, I was working in nightlife and I was numbing out in a whole new way with recreational drugs and alcohol. Um, cocaine was really my drug of choice. And of course I dabbled in ecstasy and MDMA, but cocaine was the daily use as was alcohol. I did anything and everything in my power to numb out because again, I didn't know how to really process trauma or face my trauma until I hit the bottom of rock bottoms in 2012. I had ended a very abusive relationship I was a full-blown addict and had no idea that 
my drug use and alcohol use was a problem. All I knew is that my life didn't look anything like a life I wanted to live and I didn't feel good, but I didn't know how to get out of it. So I, I realized, I remember looking in the mirror and I saw this like sad girl with the emptiest eyes I'd ever seen. And I was like, who is she? Like, how did she get here? And that's when I realized it was a series of choices that I'd made. So I decided to start choosing differently. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what was possible, but I knew that in order to create a different experience for myself, I had to start choosing differently. So I'd swap nights out for hot yoga nights. I swapped out, you know, drug use with healthy eating and just slowly started making these shifts in my life in 2012 that led me to where I am today. My sobriety began in 2014. And interestingly enough, that was the year that ayahuasca first began to make her way in my life. She started popping up on my computer screen, articles, anything, conversations. The name would just pop up and I was like, huh, this is interesting. So I felt the call in 2014, but I was newly sober and the thought of going into a psychedelic experience really scared me. So I continued on my journey of sobriety as I began to build my coaching business in 2014, which is a whole other level of personal growth, let me tell you. Um, But through the years, the call began to get louder. And in 2018, I was dealing with some health issues again, and I did not want to listen to what Western medicine was saying. They were telling me there's no cure. There's no way out of this. Um, You just have to deal with it. Here are a few prescriptions you can take. I didn't want to take that answer as the answer. I believed in the power of my body. I believe that there's a divine intelligence found within all of our physical vessels and that we have the power to heal anything. Sometimes we just need the right guidance to do so. So that's when I answered the call to ayahuasca and I sat in my first ayahuasca ceremony December 2018 in a giant teepee in the Santa Monica mountains in the freezing cold. And it was quite the experience that experience out of all my ayahuasca journeys, and I've been on on many at the time of this recording, over 30, that specific journey was the most traumatic journey. I'm not going to lie. It was the most traumatic journey of my life. It had me face to face with my most destructive patterns, and it was playing on loop over and over and over again all night long. There was also absolutely no integration offered at the end of that ceremony. And so I actually had symptoms of PTSD for the week after ceremony. I sat with a couple different circles until I really found my plant medicine tribe. And I found them in the jungle of Peru. I went to the Amazon jungle in 2019, and what really called me there was ayahuasca. She told me I'd be there. But at this stage in my business, everything was going well. You know, my business was flowing, my coaching 
was doing well. I was running three day, hundred person events in Los Angeles, like things were looking good, but on the inside, I could still feel the trauma. Even after all of this personal development work that I've been doing, I could still feel trauma deep inside me. I could still feel somatic responses in my body to, to trauma. I could still feel the essence of the trauma in, in my voice, in my work. And I really just wanted to find that clarity and that healing from within. So I went to the jungle. I did a 14-day dieta, master plant dieta with the Shipibo tribe um, with a very revered maestro, Papa Gilberto Mahua, who prescribed me Bobansana and Noyarao. And it was the most profound two weeks of my life. If you had just put me in the jungle without the medicine, that was enough. Because this was not a lush, beautiful resort medicine retreat. This was bare bones sleeping on a single moldy as fuck mattress in a tombow, uh, which is like a bamboo thatched hut filled with spiders the size of your hand peeing in a bucket like it was pretty rural so the environment alone challenged me and to be on the medicine almost every day while in the jungle that was very challenging and that's where I really learned to cultivate self-trust to cultivate that sense of safety from within. From there, my journey with coaching really began to shift. Like I really started to see the essence of my work and what I'm here to do and started to claim who I wanted to do this work with. And I really feel called to do this work with leaders, one, because that was the vision that I was given in an ayahuasca journey, and two, because I believe in the power of a ripple effect. I believe that alone I can do good, but to be able to support other leaders in reconnecting to their truth and and cultivating that self-trust and safety from within so that they can go out and be sovereign leaders who serve their unique medicine versus the cookie cutter bullshit that everyone else is serving. That to me is potent. That to me is what our world really needs. So this is where the evolution of my work really began to deepen. And that's where I find myself today. And the addition of Combo was a long time coming. I experienced Combo in 2019. She, because I call Combo a she, she really helped me heal um, what Western medicine told me I could not, will not heal but I healed myself with combo. And it was in that three-day ceremony that I knew I was going to be facilitating. But combo didn't come back into my life until last year in, in 2021. And she started showing up in my dreams. And that's when I knew, okay, now I'm ready. Like now I'm ready. I've been on my medicine journey for a while. I've been integrating this work on a such a deep, profound level. I feel like I am the embodiment of my work. So now is the time to serve combo. 
And so Combo came into my life and I've been serving it. Um, and it's been such a beautiful addition to the work that I do. And because of the depth of my work with coaching, I also really focus on integration with everything that I offer, whether it's coaching, whether it's retreats, whether it's combo, because I really feel that that is something that is missing in the world of personal development, as well as the medicine space. So that was a lot. I just spoke for a really long time. Uh, So I'm going to pause because I feel like maybe there are some questions. (laughs) Love it. Love it so so much. So good, Ruby. Thank you for sharing all of that. And it's just so empowering to hear how your journey with plant medicines and Aya and Cambo have led you to become such an empowered leader. And here you are leading the leaders into this new earth and this new frequency that we're entering. And I just, I can't wait to talk to you about your concept of potent leadership. Um, But I guess there's so many places we could go. I guess I want to take it back to the jungle in Peru and hear more about that. So (laughs) I binged um, a bunch of your podcast episodes, including your um, Peru reports. (laughs) Man, it sounded intense. (laughs) Like it sounded pretty crazy down there. You are brave. (laughs) Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, especially what the true dieta is like, and also um, how that experience of sitting with Aya in the jungle in Peru was maybe more powerful than your experiences in the States? Yeah, definitely. Um, It's interesting because when I talk about my experience in the jungle, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I went to the jungle. Did you go to so-and-so center or this center in Ikatos or this? And it's like, no, no, no. I I took a flight to Lima, then took a flight to Pacalpa, then took a five-hour boat ride, like a little river boat down the Ukiali River into the jungle. You know, the boat just stopped at this random spot you can't see anything we get out the boat we walk through a um, yucca field and there it is and it's just this small family-run village um, run by the mahua family and papa gilberto mahua comes from a very strong lineage of maestros a very well revered lineage of maestros his grandfather was said to be able to shape shift into a jaguar which is the the highest deepest most profound level of maestro in in the jungle and when i got there you know here i am with just my backpack I had no idea. I mean, I I really had no idea. Nothing could prepare me for what was to follow. All I knew is Aya had told me, like Aya had told me in January when I was sitting in a ceremony in January, you'll be in Peru in November. And there I was. Everything just happened for me to be there. When I was shown my tombo, which again is like the the bamboo and wood little hut that you sleep in that's on stilts because the jungle floor often gets flooded, mine was the one that was not attached to the walkways. So there's these raised walkways. Everything is raised off the ground because again, it rains a lot and the floors get flooded. Mine was not attached to the raised platform. So it meant that 
whenever I'd have to leave my tombow to go into the maloka, the ceremony space, I'd have to walk on the jungle floor, which again, when it was raining, could be upwards of a foot of water and creepy crawlies, whatever was in there, I don't know. But I remember opening the door to the tombow and I was like, okay, okay, I can do this. You know, I've backpacked before. And then I look over to the side and I see this single what was probably once white mattress, but it was like gray and brown and yellow, obvious mold growing off of it. And they pointed to it and told me that was my bed. And in that moment, I I just thank God that I had packed a mattress protector because a friend had suggested that I do that. And, you know, set up my bed and I was like, okay, well, we're gonna make this work. We're gonna figure this out. I was given a mosquito net, which was basically a bed sheet. So instead of a breathable mosquito net, it was a bed sheet that I couldn't see through. So my little single mattress turned into this cocoon, um, which was pretty scary at night because at night you hear a lot of noises and I wouldn't be able to see what it was. So that's one thing. There was only electricity in this village between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. every night. That was it. Otherwise, there's no electricity. And with that being said, you would never, ever want to turn your lights on during that time. Because if you did, I, I swear thousands of bugs would just come out of nowhere and attack your space. So I lived by candlelight. And the jungle, what what I wasn't prepared for was how loud it is. It is so loud in the jungle all the time. There are so many birds and animals and bugs and, and everything you can imagine constantly making noise. So the jungle is not a quiet place. It's quite noisy. And I just wasn't prepared for the noise. Um, and then the dieta, so a Shipibo style dieta. This is not just drinking ayahuasca one night and having an epiphany and walking away and calling yourself a changed person. That's not what this is about. Shipibo dietas, master plant dietas are a minimum 10 days and they can go as long as like a year. There are people who will sit there for a year dieting and you'll be prescribed what the Shipibo people call master plants. The master plants are not just plants. They are a combination of plants, trees, shrubs, and each one has its own purpose. Like each medicine does its own thing. So for example, there's something called Ahosacha, which is really great for enforcing strong boundaries. Bobansana, which is one of the medicines I was prescribed. That's a real beautiful heart opener, but she also really helps heal the gut and the womb. And then you have Noya Rao, which is this, for anyone who is as old as I am and remembers the movie Fern Gully, and if you haven't seen it and you're into plant medicine, I highly recommend watching Fern Gully. But 
in Fern Gully and also in Avatar, you see these bioluminescent trees, like these trees that glow. That's actually a real thing in the jungle. It's called Noyarao. And there is a tree, there are trees that glow like this. The sap of the tree is actually bioluminescent. And so at night, the leaves and the sap will glow with this bioluminescence. And Noyarao is said to shed light on the things that you're not seeing. So it works as a very vivid spotlight to show you your shadows, to show you what you need to work on, to show you what you're not seeing. Those were the two master plants that I was prescribed to diet. And what happens in a 14-day dieta is every other night you drink ayahuasca. So every other night we're drinking ayahuasca. And then you also drink a tea made with your master plants. So because I was prescribed two, I would drink, I drank two cups of boban sana tea the first two nights off of ayahuasca. So I drank ayahuasca and then the next night boban sana, the next night ayahuasca, then boban sana again, and then ayahuasca and then noyarao. And then once the master plants are in your body, they're in your body. They become activated in the ayahuasca ceremonies. So the ayahuasca ceremonies are very different <laughs> because they, uh, ayahuasca, she's working and activating the other plants or trees that you've been dieting. Um, and so most ceremonies, I was actually laying down on the mat. I tried so hard to sit up. But Bulbansana had me on the ground. I was in so much pain. My gut and womb were being worked on. I had the best colonic of my life during those two weeks that I was there. Um, Bulbansana also helped me shed all the fibroids that were in my uterus. I, I literally saw them, physically saw them come out of my body. So there was a lot of intense work that was being done um, in the jungle. And when you sit in Shipibo style, a Shipibo style ayahuasca ceremony is done in pitch black. There's no lights. There's no candles. There's a candle lit for when you serve the medicine. And then once everyone drinks, the candles go out. So you're sitting in pitch black, which to me is such profound medicine within itself. And you also sit in quiet, which is, it's so funny now that I... I'm so deeply in the Shipibo way to know that there's a lot of ayahuasca ceremonies where people talk, where people kind of sing to each other or help each other, um, where maybe there's some candle lit, lit. To me, it just takes away from the inner work that you're there to do with Aya. So in a Shipibo style sit, the first round, you're sitting in absolute quiet. And then the maestro will start chanting. And they chant Ikaros, which is Shipibo prayers. And each person has individual Ikaros as well as they're chanting into the space. And the Ikaros are so, so powerful. Uh, these maestros are so trained. I mean, this specific maestro, he's, we have no idea how old he is, but he looks like he's close to 70 and he's been drinking ayahuasca since he was seven years old going through his initiation. And so they're able to see things that we don't see and they're constantly clearing the room and the space and working on each person in the room while you're there doing your own work. So it's a very, very different experience. And when you're being chanted to, you will 
feel it in your body. Like the ayahuasca begins to react. It's really intense. So I went through that 14 day experience and through the, throughout those 14 days, you also have to diet other things. So you have to limit your communication with others. You have to, you have no technology whatsoever. Uh, my phone, everything was off the whole time I was there. You also have to limit your consumption of anything because you're so deep in the medicine that you don't, you're, you're easily influenced by things. So you want to limit your consumption. So I had one book, it was a spiritual book. And that's the only thing I read while I was there, as well as a coloring book, which was great therapy while I was there. Um, and then food, you cannot consume salt, fats, oils, sugar includes fruit. Um, you have to abstain um, from any spices whatsoever. And so every day we were served boiled rice, boiled lentils, boiled plantains, boiled oats, I mean, boiled vegetables, or just soups with zero seasoning. And that's what we ate. And so you know, when, when you don't have enough salt, you start to feel weak. Now imagine 14 days with no salt by day 10, uh, someone had to help me out of my hammock one day because I could not move my body. But this is the point of the Shipibo Dieta is to break you down so that you can come fully undone and allow ayahuasca to really work with you. Very, very profound way of sitting with the medicine. And yeah, uh, once we closed out our ceremony, ceremony on day 14, the next morning, we had the most amazing breakfast. And I just remember reaching for mango and avocado because I was like, oh my God, just give me some fucking fruit and some fucking fat and some salt. Um, and it felt so good <laughs> to eat that. And, uh, you know, coming back into real life was really hard. It was, it's, it was so hard to come out of the jungle and be thrown back into real life. It, it was a real adjustment period. And I also took the time to integrate everything that I had learned into my life so that it didn't just become this experience that I had one time in 2019, but it's now become part of the way that I live and lead my life. Wow. Ruby, thank you so much for sharing all of that. It just... It just sounds like one of the most incredible experiences and it takes such bravery and courage, but just something that significantly changes your life forever. And uh, like you said, returning home and integrating that, like I love how you said you intentionally took the time to do that. I was wondering now with these plants being a part of your life and really feeling into their spirits to a new level, how do you connect with them on a daily basis? Mm. So this would be through my rituals, definitely. I also strongly believe that the plants are always with me. In Shipibo culture, your master plants then become infused with your spirit. So I have the spirit of Bobinsana, of Noyarao, and of Ahosacha because I ended up dieting Ahosacha later on. Um, so I have these spirits in me. And they're always with me. And grandmother medicine is always with me. It doesn't even matter how many times I sit. She's with me. And 
the fact that I continue to ensure that the lessons that I have been gifted are deeply ingrained in my being and in my actions and thoughts and words, that in itself is a way for me to remain connected. And, you know, my rituals in the morning, uh, so they shift season to season. Currently, my ritual is sitting in prayer and sitting with Hape and just being, just being without trying to be anything and, and just praying to God, creator, to the spirits of these plants that I've dieted and, and just to allow that space for reverence to the plants, to the teachers, to my teachers, to myself for this journey. It's so, so important. I think it's really easy for us to like race through life and forget all the things and beings and teachers that have really supported us along the way, which then we start to forget how far we've come. And we just end up working on autopilot through our life from, from, you know, chapter to chapter, from accomplishment to accomplishment without really grounding or anchoring into anything. I believe that there's such a potent power to really anchoring into each moment. And I do that through prayer. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom with us, Ruby. I have one more question about the dieta. And I mean, I'm so curious because you said you you went back um, because I feel like that's not for the faint of heart. That's for a true warrior spirit to go back into the jungle. And it sounds like as much as you can prepare, visualize, maybe talk to people, it sounds like you 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 can't ever fully prepare for what you'll experience in the jungle. Um, but I wanted to know how you found this place uh, and how you intuitively knew to trust. Because I feel like going that deep into the Amazon, that's that can be frightening, that could be dangerous to some extent, and that's the, the unknown. And so I would love to hear more about how you came to trust that this was the right place for you to go to and uh, if you went back to the same place. Yeah, so I so I didn't actually go back into the jungle. I ended up dieting Ahusacha in 2021 um, after, so 2020, I was supposed to go back into the jungle and the world completely changed. So the trips were canceled. I mean, I actually had a friend who was dieting with me in 2019 who stayed for another three or four months to complete a longer diet. And she ended up getting stuck in Peru because Peru shut down. And so there was no flights in, no flights out. So she was there stuck for, um, I think it was like seven months or eight months. So none of us went back in 2020 and then 2021 came along and things just got really weird with with travel and i have certain boundaries that i'm not going to cross in terms of my health uh so i did what's like a virtual sit with one of my teachers um with ahosacha and i was sent the medicine i brewed and made the medicine myself every single night um, which Ahosacha is a hard wood and to make the medicine, you basically grind it, which is, it takes a lot of time. You've got to grind it, grind it. And then you boil that, um, the grounds until you get this really potent tea. 
And so I did the diet in my house with my husband here. So I had to sleep in our guest room because of course you can't touch anyone. You can't be, you know, there's no intimacy. I'm I'm on a straight diet. I was cooking myself salt-free, oil-free, sugar-free food, just eating, you know, plain raw vegetables, boiled rice, and confining myself into the guest room every evening um, just to be with the plant. So that was the the second diet that I did, and it was here in Austin in my home. Um, but how I found that experience is, again, it was like January 2019, and ayahuasca literally showed me like November, Peru, jungle. And I remember coming out of that experience, like, I don't know how on earth this is going to happen. First of all, I have a full book of clients and I'm working all the time. I don't know how my husband would feel about me going into the jungle for that long. I don't know how I feel about it. And it was August that year where I went on a hike with one of my dear medicine brothers and we're super close. And he mentioned, you know, very casually like, oh yeah. And I'm going into the jungle in November. And I was like, wait, what? And he said, yeah, you should come. And I was like, well, funny that you say that grandmother told me I'd be in the jungle in November. Uh, but it's August and I have a full book of clients. I don't know how this is going to happen. So he connected me with the facilitators that were leading this. So what everyone needs to understand is there are centers all over South America. And I highly recommend always going to a center with a guide, especially the deep jungle centers, because they don't speak English in these centers. And so you can show up and they will prescribe you something. However, if you have pre-existing health conditions or you're on certain medications, you're not going to know what the contraindications are. And this is when people get into a lot of trouble in the jungle, whereas, um, you know, facilitators that aren't from South America act as the bridge. They have all the pre-screen forms and the process and and they have a deep understanding of of how this works and, and they could speak the language. So I was connect, he connected me to the facilitators. I loved them. And then I started talking to all my clients, seeing if they would be open to me taking a month off. And that meant not getting coaching from me for a month. And all of them said yes. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. So, and my husband was all for it. So I booked my tickets, I showed up and I had never met the facilitators in real life. I, I I only knew my soul brother who was on the trip with his girlfriend. I only knew them. I didn't know anyone else on the trip. I just showed up because that's, I trusted, I trusted my message from grandmother. And I, I trusted that because everything flowed, that this was the right step for me to take. So good, Ruby. And just want to acknowledge you for just following those breadcrumbs and for listening to your intuition and, you know, putting the feeler out there with your clients and putting putting yourself out there in that way to make this happen for yourself. And you were speaking about how 
important integration is to you. And I really want to go back to that because this is something that people in our in our audience love to hear about. And I did hear you say, I think it was in one of your podcasts that integration is giving yourself time to connect the lesson to the structure. Mm-hmm. And I loved this so much because integration is just, it's one of those words in the space, right? We're always hearing about it, but it's so abstract, right? And it's hard to understand what it what it truly is and like how to do it. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it? Am I integrating? And when I heard you say that, giving yourself time to connect the lesson to the structure, it just like tied it together for me in such a concrete way. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, can you share more about your integration process? And I'd also love to hear from you, like where do you think we get hung up in this integration process? Yeah, great questions. Um, And integration, yet such a buzzword. And there are so many people who claim to teach integration, who claim to be all about integration, who claim to be integrating. And yet it's very clear, at least to me, who is fully integrated and who is not, who's just lying basically to themselves and to others. Integration is is really taking those lessons and weaving them into the structure of your being. It's like you're given all these different threads in a medicine ceremony, whatever the medicine is, right? You're given all these threads and then, and the medicine could even be like a coaching session. It's wherever you are that you gain new insights and new breakthroughs. You're given these threads and a lot of people, what they do with these threads is they look at the threads and they're like, wow, cool. This makes sense. And then they just keep going. Integration is taking those threads and weaving them into your being so that your presence starts to shift because your actions start to shift because your thought process starts to shift because your belief systems start to shift. It's a it's a an entire shift from the inside out that requires conscious effort, you know, just because you sit in an ayahuasca ceremony and get a quote unquote download doesn't mean that you're going to be any better than you were before you had that sit. A lot of people will just hold on to the the experience like a trophy, like, oh, I've sat with ayahuasca or I've done combo and I've had 10 dots and it just turns into this real ego trip. And they forget that the real work is up to you. Ayahuasca, psilocybin, combo, your coach, your therapist, none of these things or people are going to do the work for you. That is up to you, right? We can receive the messages. We can receive the gifts. We can receive the threads from other people, from these sacred medicines, but it's up to us to actually weave those threads into our being to create a changed experience, to create an evolution from within. Yes, Ruby. Wow. All of those words were just resonating so much in my body when you were speaking. So thank you for for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your truth. And 
in such a potent way. I would love if we could um, touch on now what potent leadership means to you because it's it's so clear. And that's the first time I like when coming across meeting you on Instagram, coming across your content, I was like, wow, this woman, she has so much embodied power within her and it is potent. It is so beautiful, so magnetic, and so incredibly inspiring and just what this world needs more of, especially in these times. So thank you for just being you. Thank you for Mm -hmm. continuously sharing your truth. And I would love if you could tell us more about potent leadership, how you came to understand potent leadership and embody it, and uh, yeah, whatever whatever magic flows through you. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, so potent leadership, I'm going to go – back a little ways just to talk about how leadership really first started showing up in my life. Um, Because when I first started coaching back in 2014, uh, I was a self-love coach and that's what I was teaching. I was really supporting women uh, with self-love, with self-worth issues. And very soon after that, it just, you know, I was great at it. I was really well known for it. I'd made uh, a lot of press doing this work and something just, it, it didn't feel like I was where I needed to be. And so I continued to follow the call of where uh, my work was meant to, or how my work was meant to be used, how I was meant to be used. And I started to stumble upon other coaches coming my way, other entrepreneurs, other people who saw themselves as leaders started to come my way and flow into my business. And that's where I started to feel greater joy because I knew that this work that I was doing with these clients was going to have this ripple effect into their work. There was a a deeper sense of fulfillment that was coming from this place. And I was really noticing, I mean, I've been in the personal development space since 2014 And I've also been on social media since literally the days that social media began. Like I was one of the first early adopters of Twitter. I was literally at my computer working for a startup and we were all counting down the minutes before Twitter was launched. And that's how I scored I Am Ruby. And since then I've been first on every platform and that's why I have I Am Ruby everywhere. But I share that to say that I've been in the online space for a really, really long time, and I've been coaching longer than most people. And what I started to notice was how fucking fake people were. And I am one of those people that even when I pretend to be fake, you'll see right through me because I I suck at pretending. I suck at hiding my true feelings. I just suck. I caught, I was caught doing everything wrong as a child because I couldn't hide it from my parents. And it really bothered me that there was all these people, all these people in the personal development industry claiming to be certain things, claiming to be certain labels, certain titles, and then you meet them in person and they're a fucking asshole. And it really threw me off. I would go to events and notice how, you know, I'd be super excited to see certain speakers and the speaker comes, speaks on stage and exits the building and, and you don't get to spend any time with them or get to meet them. And, and I get it. Time and, and is energy and, and energy is money and, and all of that. However, I started 
to see this like glitch in in the people who are claiming to be leaders like they're claiming to be leaders but they're not actually congruent they're not being a leader and that really bothered me i had also invested money in a lot of coaching and you know i i've had pretty good experiences and i've had some pretty shitty experiences and i noticed that everything was was all about optics it's all about how you're seen how you're perceived how many followers you have the stupid blue check mark like just all this shit that has nothing to do with who you're being and this is why i was getting so many clients who had worked with other coaches and were left completely traumatized cracked open not fully integrated uh just suffering and they would come to work with me desperate to get out of that cycle and i was like how can these people call themselves coaches if they're leaving this trail of of like traumatized clientele and this this is real this happens people are all about the money they just want to scale they want to earn more they want to be seen more they want to be perceived as more and i just wasn't having any of it and so as these leaders started to come my way, I realized like this is where my work is really meant to be. My work has always been about really supporting people and reclaiming their voice. It always has been, even as a self-love coach, to really reconnect to their truth, what's true for them. And as my work began to shift through my own personal evolution, I started working with leaders I started to notice how so many of them were taught to be these cookie cutter replicas. You know, they took some 10K and 10K in 10 day program and they're now this cookie cutter replica of the teacher, but they're not happy, you know? And we see this in our society and humanity as a whole. It's like society wants us to be this cookie cutter version of what is acceptable in our collective. And now we're, with where we're at, we're starting to notice that this, this isn't working. This is all an illusion. However, there's a lot of people who are still playing into the illusion. And so the idea of potent leadership really came out from the idea of potency. I really strongly believe it is an inner knowing that we are all gifted with our own unique medicine. And what happens is through our upbringing, through the programming of our, our parents or those who raised us, through our family systems, through our cultural and religious beliefs, through society, through you know the, the education system, through all these things, we are shown how to be, how to show up. You know, we're essentially trained to be a certain way. We're shown what's right or wrong. We're shown what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. We're shown that in order to be liked or loved or accepted, you need to be a certain way. And so people start to quiet themselves, to mute themselves, to shut themselves down. And everyone does this in their own unique way. Um, people start to perform, pretend, shapeshift, manipulate how they're being seen, and with the rise of social media, it's only gotten worse because now we have the ability to literally physically filter our pictures. I mean, the filters on IG these days, I, I feel like like one of those, like I'm super old when I talk like this, but the filters on IG these days are fucking insane. Like 
plumped lips, Botoxed face. What is that? I don't get it. And so we've become so detached from our truth that it obviously affects our leadership. And so what we're seeing in our world right now is a fractured society from a fractured humanity due to fractured leadership. And this fracture runs deep because it runs within each and every single one of us. We are so detached from our truth. And so potent leadership is all about leading from your unique potency, from serving your unique medicine. Everyone has this medicine within them. Like I said, we've just been programmed to be a certain way. And so we dismiss our medicine. And at some point in time, you're going to realize, wow, you know, like, I don't feel like myself. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. You could also be super successful and still not feel fulfilled, right? So this is where the potency comes into play. It's about you starting to strip away the programming and the protective mechanisms and the walls that you have put up for so many years in order to gain the approval of the world so that you can uncover the truth within you, which is your potency. And your potency is the accumulation of all that makes you you. It's your voice. It's your tone. It's your essence. It's your energy. It's it's your physical appearance. It's your shadows. It's your light. It's everything in between. It's all of that, the alchemy of it all, the totality of it all. That is your medicine. It's your potency. And to be a potent leader is to lead with that. Because again, there's enough cookie cutter performers out there and that's not what our world needs right now. What our world needs right now are potent leaders who are brave enough to share their truth, to speak from the depths of their truth, even amidst the the fear of being canceled, shamed, or unloved, because everyone's truth is valid and everyone's truth gets to be heard. And there are people out there who are just yearning to hear your truth. And so potent leadership is really about reclaiming that potency from within you and leading your purpose from that place, not how other people want you to lead, but how you are really built to lead. Wow. So it sounds like a lot of potent leadership is really that, first of all, getting connected to yourself. Is that, am I getting that right? Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. It starts with that inner connection, that inner, inner authority. So Ooh, so good. I have chills. Um, I I really want to touch more on cancel culture and the internet because this is, oh my God, it is such a thing right now. Um, So I'll, I'll share a little bit. So, you know, obviously we have this podcast and I find myself like wanting to self censor so much of the time because of, you know, whatever narrative or rhetoric is currently favored and acceptable online. But at the end of the day, I want to speak my truth and I want to hold the space. And, you know, I just, I get hung up in navigating it sometimes. So what do you, what, what advice would you give to people like myself and for people out there who are listening and are finding this need to self-censor and even people please online? What would you say to them? Yeah, there's a risk either way. There's a risk of speaking your truth and there's a risk of of holding back. 
there is a risk either way. It's which risk are you willing to live with? That's what it really comes down to. And, you know, especially these days with the threat of cancel culture, shame culture being a real thing. I mean, people are nasty. They are mean. I have experienced a lot of that. And what it comes down to is what I deeply value. You know, you have to recognize what are like your top five values. What are the things that you hold most meaningful in your life? And for me, health and integrity are my top two values. Like those are two things I will never negotiate on. So when I see a lack of integrity in our world, when I see a lack of integrity within the health space, I cannot not say anything. I have to speak up. There, there's no way I can sit back and say nothing. And, you know, I'm, I'm on this hill and I will die on this hill. This, this is where I choose to be. I, I refuse to live in a world that is going to continue to push a single narrative. I won't have it. And so when it comes to advice, I mean, some of you listening may be like, whoa, I don't know if I'm there yet. And that's cool, right? Like we all value different things. There are so many people like me who are speaking up who also shame. They shame other peers in in the leadership space for not speaking up. And on one hand, do I feel we have a responsibility as leaders with platforms? A thousand percent. And there's a lot more nuance that goes into this. There are people who have who are sole providers for their families. And so there is a real legitimate risk to their business of, of not being able to keep a roof over their head. I'll have I have compassion for that. So we have to learn to to one understand what's truly meaningful in our lives. What what do we value? What are our absolute non-negotiables? And to be real about that, to really acknowledge that which is the truth and then to act from that place to show up from that place to to honor the values that you truly have without shooting yourself to death you know that that's my advice yeah that's so good cuz it really does bring it down to your values and how you want to live and you know integrity is also one of my values which is probably why there's such an inner conflict within me when I want to speak on something, but I feel like I can't. So what happens? Well, first of all, do you ever experience that still? And if, and when you do, like, how do you consolidate that? What are your kind of like tactics or like mindset hacks that you have when something like that happens to you? Yeah. Um, let me touch on the people pleasing first because I just realized I didn't answer that part. And people pleasing is really stems from our basic human need for love and belonging. We all want to feel loved. We all want to feel like we belong somewhere. And so we'll shift our behaviors in order to please people around us. But people pleasing also comes from a lack of self-trust. And so the real root cause of it is that you don't trust yourself right? You don't trust yourself. And so you're constantly trying to seek validation through others. You're constantly trying to please everyone around you. So once you start working on self-trust, on flexing those muscles, on learning how to trust yourself and your voice, you'll start to create stronger boundaries that do not involve pleasing the people around you. 
Um, so that is something I definitely wanted to share first. Uh, Thank you for that. Cause that was so great. <laughs> so great. And then, sorry, what was your next question? Oh yeah. I was just wondering, like, I don't know if it still does happen mm. to you where you have a, an inner, inner conflict of like, I want to say this, but I'm conflicted. And if it does, what are your tactics or mindset hacks of how you kind of consolidate that within yourself? Yeah. Okay. So in 2020, um, I started speaking up pretty early and I was pretty loud. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say I was pretty loud about it because I was just like in shock. I mean, for me, my entire matrix dissolved in 2020. I mean, I already didn't trust the medical system because of what I've been through personally in my life and what I've seen and experienced, but to completely see like just the government dissolve, the, all the systems and everything, everything began to dissolve. And I was seeing the matrix for what it was. And I was just like, how is no one else seeing this? And so I was really loud in 2020 and 2021. Um, I started to feel the exhaustion of it. I had become this social media warrior. And in addition to all the work that I was doing in my business, I was also on social media, reading every article. Like I, in 2020, I was spending upwards of four to five hours a week, just reading articles, research papers, medical studies, watching videos, listening to podcasts, in addition to everything else I was doing for my business so that I could write these emails to my community and share with them what's going on and share with them medical resources and share just all the things. By 2021, I was like, this is, I can't, I can't keep doing this. There's gotta be a different way. And I realized that it's not sharing information. I think that there's enough people out there sharing information that that's not my job to do that. There's enough people doing that. And plus it drains me. I'm a projector in human design and this shit just drains me. However, there was a way for me to tie this back into my work and it became more about sharing from this uh, like centered, anchored spirit because it's, the fracture in society is what is bothering me the most. And that's what I really want to speak to. I want to speak to the hearts of humanity. So I began to shift the way that I show up and share. Now, are there days when I want to share something like a new medical study or something the CDC said and like all this shit? Of course there are. I'll look at it, especially anything to do with kids. That is like my weak spot. I want to go and share all the things all the time. And I need to also honor my energetic boundaries and know, trust that there are other people sharing this type. That's not for me. So it's about understanding your role, understanding what you want your role to be, understanding how you want to utilize your voice and also then utilizing your voice in a way that doesn't drain you, but energizes you and feels aligned with what you value and your purpose. Haters will continue to come up. They continue to come up all the time, especially because I'm Canadian and Canadians just really, uh, there, there's, 
there's a lot of Kool-Aid in Canada right now. And I love all my Canadian friends dearly, but it's just a different world out there. And I've gotten some of the nastiest messages from people that I know and how I handle it is by seeing the human on the other side of the screen. If it's a DM or a text, and this is what we all have to remember, the screens act as a a way to dehumanize everything, all of our conversations, whether it's text message or social media becomes dehumanized because of this black screen. We forget that there's another human being on the other side who has their whole life history and experience and journey that is influencing them to believe what they believe and value what they value, which doesn't make them right or wrong. It just is. Same with me. I just am, right? I'm not right or wrong. I'm not here to convince you. I'm not here to persuade you. So whenever I receive hate like that, Rather than react, right? Because we can react. We all can react. It's taking that moment to breathe so that we can respond versus react from whatever it is that's being triggered within us. And I take that moment to remember the human on the other side of that message and remember that they have a history, they have a story, they have a journey, they have their own set of beliefs, they have their own paradigm that they're living in, and, and they get to be there. And that's okay. I'm not here to change their mind. I'm not here to persuade them. That's what we all need to do. This is how we can start bringing more compassion into humanity. You know, we talk about, we hear all this stuff about unity consciousness. I don't believe in unity. I believe in standing united. I believe in honoring each other's differences and living in a world that honors differences, right? I don't want to live in a world where everyone's the same and believes the same and acts the same. That's not what we're here to do. But since when do we not honor our differences, right? And that's what's become really, really loud. And that's what's fracturing us. So if we can be the fullest embodiment of this vision for humanity, of really being compassionate human beings, of bringing humanity back into the world, of of seeing other people, of hearing other people, of listening to other people, right? Going back to to this need that we all have, we want to be loved, we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be acknowledged. Imagine what would happen if we could all just bring that into our social media platforms, into our text messages, into our conversations with other people, even if they believe different we'd be in a different state right now. We'd be in a different state of humanity right now. So that was a really long-winded answer to your question, but I hope it helps. Thank you, Ruby. amazing. Thank you. Yeah, that was incredible. Thank you for, for being the light and thank you for embodying your truth to really just show us what's possible because there's, there is such a beautiful potency to your words and you can tell how deeply connected you are to to remembering who you are and what you came here to do. Like, like you said, you're, you're on the hill. You will forever be on the hill. You, you know who you are and you're standing there with just, yeah, such, such dedication to your soul's journey. Uh, so just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just feel like your words, they've just been lighting up my soul this entire conversation. And I know for so many of our listeners, this is the light. This is the, 
you know, the truth being spoken that we all need in our worlds right now more than ever. Mm, thank you so much for that reflection. Yeah. And I, I feel like I would love to just quickly touch on sovereignty, Ruby, and what sovereignty means to you, because there is such a freedom that comes from when you deeply connect with yourself and, you know, you stop giving a shit what people think because you're like, this is my truth and I know what that is. And so I'm not going to worry about what other people say because it just bounces right off when you're, when you're so much in your truth, you can have that experience where it just doesn't affect you. So to me personally, I, I feel like that is freedom and that is a freedom that we're all, um, subconsciously or consciously searching for is like, how can I just be myself and have that be enough and have that be okay? So I would love it. I would love to hear your definition or ideas or thoughts around sovereignty and what it means to be a sovereign being in this world today. Mm, Great question. Cause sovereignty is one of those, another buzzword that is thrown around um, without any reference these days or without any understanding. And to me, sovereignty is, really owning all that makes you you it's owning your power um and as a society we have time and time again been shown that we don't have the power whether it's through authoritative figures authoritative cultures whatever it is we've been taught programmed to trust the authorities, to trust those in reign, and to not trust ourselves. So sovereignty to me is coming back to that place of self-trust, of deep self-trust, of trusting yourself so deeply that you show up in a way that feels aligned with you. This isn't about not giving a fuck. I don't believe in that. We're humans. We should give a fuck, right? We should be compassionate, empathetic, beings. That's what we're built to do. That's what makes us humanity. So this isn't about not giving a fuck. It's about knowing what to give a fuck about. It's about knowing and understanding on such a deep, profound level, what's important to you, what's most meaningful to you and really honoring that and understanding, you know, we can take sovereignty to the next level with our physical vessels and understanding the divine intelligence of our physical vessels and how our physical vessels are truly, they have been designed to heal themselves. It's about taking sovereignty of your mind and understanding that your mind is yours, right? Like, it's so crazy to me how, how people say, this is going to be a, an unpopular opinion. I'm just going to preface that. Everyone tells you, like, don't watch TV, don't watch TV. As a projector in human design, I thoroughly enjoy my Netflix at the end of the night. It's a way for me to calm my system and just get out of work mode. And I believe I have an incredibly sovereign mind. I can notice the brainwashing techniques found and embedded in different shows, and I hold my mind super, super clear. I hold my channel super clear. So this is about understanding the power that you have as an individual within your vessel, within your mind, within your body, within your spirit. That to me is true sovereignty. Oh, love that and love the distinction you made there between not giving a fuck and knowing what to give a fuck about. So good. Mm. And as we start winding down. Um, I do want to touch a little bit on reverence because I know it's something that you are very passionate about. And 
um, for our listeners out there, reverence is, is one of our values actually here at Modern Psychedelics. So Ruby, you are a Cambo practitioner. You serve clients um, with this beautiful medicine. So can you talk to us a little bit about your thoughts around reverence, how you view it, and also how you practice it? Yeah. So the the concept of reverence really came up oh, the deeper I started sitting with medicines. And, you know, I, I like I said, I sat with a few different communities before really finding my people. And I've sat in some pretty weird, fucked up situations with medicine where, you know, there's this layering technique that's a thing and super popular in the U.S., which is so not reverent and it's not even plants, it's pills um, sold as plant medicine. And there's ceremonies with neo-shamans where, you know, you drink a cup and no one's doing anything. No one's clearing the energy for you. You're just there left to your own shit and people are interfering people are speaking people are quote unquote helping each other or singing to each other like that that's there's no reverence in that we have people drinking ayahuasca once and calling themselves a shaman we have people buying ayahuasca online or buying it at a stand in ikatos and serving it it just it doesn't make any sense it's like so in shipibo culture and in a lot of south american medicine cultures and tribes there is the the knowing that there is a light and dark force when it comes to plant medicine, sacred medicines. There's a light and there is a dark force, like with anything in life. And just because you are revered maestro or shaman who's been working generations in the jungle doesn't mean that you're all about the light. Heading into the dark through this medicine is a very, very easy um, journey because the medicines open you up to all the places. And then we involve the very human ego, you know, this need for power, for fame, for money, whatever it is. And that gets intertwined with everything. And all of a sudden we lose all reverence for everything. There are so many centers in South America now. There are so many maestros who once did good work who are now being guided by money, there, there's a lot of black magic. There's, there's just a lot happening. And then you come into other countries and it's great that medicines are making their way into other countries and into our world, because this is something I believe humanity needs. And so many of the facilitators lack reverence to the lineage. You know, you, you can, I've sat, I I've met ayahuasca people, people who serve ayahuasca in the U.S. who have no idea where their medicine comes from. I've met, I, I will ask people straight up, like who um, bestowed this lineage to you or which lineage do you train under? And, and people say, oh, no lineage. And, and to me, that's just disrespectful to, to the work and to the medicine themselves the medicines have spirits, you know, with ayahuasca, she's the chacruna vine and, and the leaves and just all the things, the ayahuasca vine, it's, it all combined to, to make this beautiful medicine and the spirit of these plants are infused in the medicine. And then we have combo, which is this amazing 
gorgeous giant frog. Everyone thinks it's little. It's actually like a fat frog that fits in your hand, kind of like a toad size. And we got the spirit of combo in combo, and especially with combo because it is legal in, in I think, all countries except for Australia, just as of recent. Um, but there's so much irresponsible serving of combo as well. Like it's like people get wrapped up in the power. Like they, I, they get into the idea of, I want to heal people. Now, whether you are a plant medicine facilitator, shaman, maestro, coach, whatever you want to call yourself, you are not a healer. That is the most disempowering thing you can do for your clients is to call yourself a healer. We heal ourselves with the guidance of others with the guidance of plants to me that removes the reverence to to the lineage of the work that you're here to do so for me reverence is so so important especially seeing all the neo-shamanistic ways in our world which to me just is so irresponsible it leaves people fractured and broken and in trauma states because they're not really properly holding space or facilitating space so for me it's really important to have the lineage, to have training, to undergo a rites of passage to do this work. I mean, there's a reason why I don't serve ayahuasca, even though I've sat over 30 times and dieted multiple things and I won't serve it. And, and to this day, I'll tell you, like, I don't think I'll ever, ever serve it because if I wanted to serve ayahuasca, I would want to go through the proper rites of passage, which is going to be years in the jungle going through a complete rite of passage. That is not my journey. With combo, I know who we get our combo from. I know the family that our combo is sourced from. I know how they treat the frogs. I know that it's ethically sourced. I, I understand and know these things and I've gone through an extensive training to serve the way that I do. And I hold impeccable space for my clients. I also offer deep, deep integration, which to me is a way of offering reverence to the work that we do in the space of medicine. So reverence is something I think we're lacking just in society as a whole. It's like we've lost respect of it, everything, everyone, and all, all the, the aspects of our lives. You know, we used to live in tribal communities and cook dinners together and sit around a fire and, and have conversations. And now we're so detached, disjointed, disconnected because we're really disconnected from ourselves. And so reverence is, is something that really brings us back together to have that deep respect for, for who we are, for the work that we're doing, for the medicine that we're carrying, that we get to carry, right? I see it as such a gift and such an honor and yeah, it's just, it's really, I can always sense, and I think our listeners will agree, when someone is living with reverence and serving with reverence and when someone is not, there is a visceral difference in their energy and in the spaces that they create. So true. Thank you so much, Ruby. Mm -hmm. I feel like... I feel like there's just 
so much to be learned from you. I wish we could continue this conversation. We might have to uh, have you as a guest again one day. <laughs> I just am so, so grateful for all the powerful messages and the wisdom and just the truth that you brought forward for, for us today, for our audience and our community today. It is so appreciated and we are so, so grateful. I, I know that I have learned so much from you and yeah, just really grateful for this opportunity. So thank you. Mm, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here with you both today and um, really, really appreciate your presence and what you're both doing in the world and what you're offering humanity with this podcast. It's really potent medicine. Mm. Thank you. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Wow. Oh, I can really feel your heart, Ruby. Thank you so much. Um, this was so beautiful. Where? Let us know where can people find you? Can people work with you? Like, I want to work with you. <laughs> Tell us how people can connect with you and all of that good stuff. Yeah. So the best place to go is my website, rubyframon.com. You can find ways to work with me there, whether it's one-on-one -on -one coaching and mentorship or my group container, Potent Leaders, or Combo Ceremonies. It's all there. You can also connect with me on Instagram while I'm still there and not censored. I might be shadow banned, but not censored yet. And my handle is at I am Ruby. Uh, my YouTube channel, you can also find me, I am Ruby, and my podcast, Potent Truth. Uh, for those of you who want to dive into conversations that the media maybe doesn't want you to see, then you can go to my telegram. That's rubyframon.com forward slash telegram. And then of course, if you dig the message that I was serving today, then I guarantee you will dig my book, Potent Leadership. So grab your copy of Potent Leadership today, available on Amazon and Audible. You can also just head to potentleadership.com for all the links there. Amazing. We'll have all of that linked in the show notes. Ruby, they can't ban you. You are one of the OGs. <laughs> that should be against the rule. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on today, sharing with us, sharing from your heart and just for being who you are. And we'll hope to have you back again soon. Yeah, thank it'd you be so an honor. Much, Ruby. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much for sharing space and growing with us on the Modern Psychedelics podcast today. Come join our community on Instagram at Modern Psychedelics for more expansive content on a daily basis. And if this episode sparked something within, please let us know by leaving a review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify. This really helps to catalyze the psychedelic renaissance. The work begins when you come back down to earth and we're standing shoulder to shoulder with you doing it.